0: Rather than exegeting the three readings for this morning, I'm going to deal exclusively with three verses from the Gospel reading as follows. He also said to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your kinsmen or your rich neighbors, lest they invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind, and you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just." One winter, a successful San Francisco business executive, sat in the study of his Piedmont home before a crackling fire. He was alone, his children away at school, and his wife in bed after a day of bridge. He sat in his favorite chair a handsome overstuffed piece upholstered in fine brocade. In his hand was his Bible. He read it often, but with no particular system. This night, as the lights of Oakland far below twinkled through the cold rain, he opened his Bible to Luke's Gospel. He read the passage we just heard from the 14th chapter. As he finished, He put his Bible aside and sat motionless for some time, pondering what he had just read. He had read the Bible many times, for he was a good man, but never before did the words seem printed in flame. After pondering what he had read for some time, he went to bed, but was unable to sleep. His mind could not put aside what he had read. Finally, after much turning and thinking, he prayed for the courage to do what he knew he must do. It came, for he made a plan and slept well, that night. The next morning, on his way to his office, he stopped at a printer where he was known and wrote a message on a card, leaving an order to print similar cards for him. He then went on to his office to do some telephoning, for there was much to be done. As the printer read the card and filled the order, he was puzzled. No one had ever wanted him to do any such message as this before. He finally settled his wonder by concluding that here was a man with more dollars than cents, and it was none of his business. The next day, the businessman stopped by the printer and picked up his cards. That afternoon, after finishing at his office, he walked the cold, windy streets south of Martin. He stopped beside a man sitting on the sidewalk selling pencils from a battered felt hat. He handed that man a card. Not expecting to get a card, it took him a little time to react. And by then, the businessman had moved on. When the pencil seller read the card, he was baffled. It said, Jesus of Nazareth requests the honor of your presence at a banquet at a home in Piedmont on Friday evening. Cards will await you at the downtown rescue mission at 6 o'clock PM. And at the bottom was this verse. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. As the businessman passed on down the street, he gave a card to a blind man who, after the man passed by, asked the boy with him to read it to him. When he had heard it, he asked to have it read again, and then shook his head, a look of puzzlement on his face. Farther and farther through the cold and now increasingly dark streets, the businessman walked. He gave a card to a woman crouched in the doorway to keep out of the chill wind. And he gave one to a man on a corner who was fingering a gun in his pocket, contemplating suicide, and wondering if he should wait until night. At last, after a good bit of walking, The invitations were all delivered and the businessman went home. On Friday at about six o'clock, a rather strange group gathered at the rescue mission. They all knew the way, for they had been there many times before, but there was a slightly different feeling among them. None knew quite what he might be getting into, but none had the slightest (laughs) thing to lose. Silently and a bit uncomfortably, they sat, waiting. Their faces were grimy, unshaven, some still tinged with blue from long exposure to the winter cold. Soon the cars were announced, and a scene unfolded that was more strange than many could remember in some time. Two shiny limousines sat at the curb, their drivers each holding a door. A dozen people, all looking most unlimousine white, filed out of the rescue mission and somewhat unsteadily climbed into the handsome conveyances. It was touching to see them. The lame man tripped over the door sill. The blind man fumbled for the strap. But they all settled back into the soft seats and rode silently across the bridge and into the hills of Piedmont. As the cars climbed higher, the passengers began to wonder where it was that they were going in such an exclusive neighborhood. The cars turned into a long, tree-lined driveway, stopping in front of the house. A very pleasant sight greeted the little band of unfortunates, one that they had not seen in a very long time, if ever. Before them were well-cared-for lawns surrounded by pyracantha and holly, loaded with cheerful red berries. And a walk lined with boxwood led to the imposing entry of this fine home. Light and warmth came from the windows, and at the door was the businessman, nervous but smiling. He clasped each guest's hand in turn and said, I'm so glad you came. Down the carpeted hall, they walked. To the left was a music room with a concert grand piano. However, they entered the dining room across the hall. In it was a large table of fine hand-rubbed wood. On the table were place settings of sterling silver, English bone china, and fine stemware. Overhead, tinkling softly, was a crystal chandelier the host invited his guests to sit down. They sat nervously, silent. Quietly, the host asked a blessing. Then the silence returned. After a brief pause, the food was brought on. And the blind man tapped the arm of the boy next to him and asked, Tell me, what does he look like? That broke the ice and the conversation flowed. The host was surprised at the nature of the conversation. It was quite unlike what he heard when his friends sat around his table. There was no, there were no off color stories. No gossip whispered behind a hand about a neighbor. Instead, the talk was of friends. Had the woman with a baby been able to find work? Had another in his family found a place to live yet? Was that friend still caught in a streak of bad luck? As the host sat and watched them eat, another thing struck him. He had expected them to be hungry, but he was unprepared for their appetite. They were ravenous. He then realized that for many of them it had been a long time, since they had eaten well. As some of them finished their second steaks, he also noticed how good their manners were. He thought they were really trying to remember. It seemed to him that these folks were the very ones that Jesus would have gathered around him, the legion of the world's wounded, the fraternity of the friendless. He remembered that his family thought he had lost his senses for doing what he was doing. When dessert was served, a man came down the hall, entered the music room across the way, and began to play the piano. He played softly at first, but soon he began to play old familiar songs, and he sang. He had a lovely voice, and it was not long until a voice at the table joined in. It cracked at first from years of disuse. Most of these folks, after all, had had nothing to sing about for some time. But they all joined in the singing, enjoying themselves immensely. After dinner, they sat comfortably in the living room, sipping sherry. Those who would, smoked cigars that their host served them. When the conversation subsided, the host began to speak to them. I know that you are all wondering why I've asked you here tonight, he began. Then, taking his Bible, he read to them from the Gospels. Stories of the one who moved among the sick, the outcast, the despised, and the friendless. How he healed this one, cured that one, spoke kindly words of infinite meaning to another. How he visited the ostracized, and what he promised to all who believed in him. When he had finished reading, he said, now perhaps you see why your invitation said, Jesus of Nazareth requests the honor of your presence. For this is his party, not mine. I am only his agent. It is he who asked you here. In a few minutes, the cars will take you back to your homes in San Francisco. If you have no place to stay, I invite you to sleep here tonight. Now here is my card. It gives my business address. Tomorrow, I will look for each of you where I found you earlier. But if I don't find you, I want you to come to see me at my office. I want you to tell me just how I can help you. As the guests filed out into the winter's night, Go back into cars, each pumped the host's hand. Some could do no more than that, or to say simply thank you. Others grope for gracious words long unused to express themselves. One said, You are the first man who ever really gave me anything. You have <coughs> given me hope. As the host looked into the eyes of his guests now leaving. He knew he had made the right decision. That night, a rich man smiled in his sleep. Of course, these events never happen. They are only a piece of imagination. But why shouldn't they happen? In Piedmont or Pacific Heights, in Westchester County, or Shaker Heights, in Beverly Hills, Pasadena, or Palos in Los Gatos, Saratoga, or Monte Sereno. Why don't we do what Jesus says? This is all by way of illustration that our problem is not that we don't know what we should do. We know Perfectly well. But we don't want to do it. Amen. Amen. In this age where transparency is almost worship, I must add the following. Much as I would like to, I cannot take credit for this sermon. It is adapted from a sermon by the late Peter Marshall pastor of Washington, D.C.'s New York Avenue Presbyterian Church and chaplain of the United States Senate. This and several other prayers and sermons were gathered together by his wife and published after his death in January 1949 in a little book entitled Mr. Jones, Meet the Master, which was the title of one of the sermons in the book. While Peter Marshall intended the master, to refer to Jesus. For those of us who write sermons, there is a double entendre, for Peter Marshall was the master of preaching. Ever since I heard this sermon, delivered much as you have just heard it, almost 50 years ago, I cannot think of anything better to say about this passage from Luke's Gospel than Peter Marshall's words.